Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Holly Pennebaker. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nine to Thrive HR. In this podcast, we team up with experts in the field of HR and unlock their knowledge of the most pressing issues facing talent management today. This podcast is your outlet for learning the latest ways to solve challenges in your organization. Think about developing your workforce, including its leadership team. Organizations must become more strategic in their approach to learning and development by aligning opportunities with business priorities. Perhaps this means changing behaviors and becoming more results-driven as a whole. So today we're joined by Deb Calvert, who knows leadership inside and out. Deb Calvert is the president of the People First Productivity Solutions, author of Discover Questions Get You Connected, one of the top 20 most highly rated sales books of all time, according to HubSpot. She's co-author with Jem Kuzis and Barry Posner of the new bestseller, Stop Selling and Start Leading, founder of the Sales Experts Channel, and the UC Berkeley instructor of the popular Sales Development Principles course. Deb is also a certified master of the Leadership Challenge and a certified sales and executive coach. She's been named one of the 65 most influential women in business and a top 30 global sales guru. So welcome, Deb. We're glad to have you today. Holly, thank you so much. I'm, I'm just thrilled to be working with you again. Likewise. So let's jump right into some discussion about leadership and sales. So first up, how did you and your co-authors come to the conclusion that sellers should replace stereotypical salesy behaviors with behaviors that are more often associated with leadership? There's a good story behind this. Uh, You mentioned that I am a certified master with the Leadership Challenge, and that's an intensive process. That takes a few years to, to attain that particular credential. The founders, the developers of that whole body of work, Jim Kuzis and Barry Posner, are pretty protective of of the brand, and they really want people to be steeped in in the knowledge that that goes behind it. So I was working directly with Barry Posner. He was my mentor as I was going through that certified mastery process. And I was in the phase of of learning where I was just reflecting these leadership behaviors that through their three-plus decades of work they've, they've proven make leaders more effective. As I was getting steeped in that work and reflecting on those behaviors, It sort of hit me one day, the question, because I work in both sales and leadership, the question, what if sellers adopted these behaviors of leaders? What impact would that have? So I took that question to Barry and and later to Jim, and we decided to do a research study because we did not know the answer. And we did a, a Qualtrics panel study through Santa Clara University with 530 B2B buyers And the reason we concluded that leadership behaviors would be appropriate replacements for salesy behaviors that sort of cause buyers to not want to meet with sellers, our conclusion was based on that research, which overwhelmingly, compellingly said each one of those 30 behaviors causes buyers to be more likely to meet with and more likely to buy from a particular seller. All right. Great points there, Deb. Thanks for sharing that story with us. And so what are some of the most surprising findings in that research with buyers? Let me talk about two surprising findings among many. One of them, I was surprised by how simple this was. I I just didn't expect it to be as big a deal because in my mind, 
this was one of those things I thought everybody kind of knew, but it turns out buyers don't think that us in sales know this as well as we should. And that is that credibility between sellers and buyers, the credibility of a seller is almost entirely wrapped up in this one leadership practice, this one behavior of leaders, which ought to be a behavior of all of us, leaders at every level, and that is to follow through on the commitments that you make, to do what you say you will do, which makes a great acronym, DWYSYWYD, D-W-Y-S-Y-W-D, just do what you say you will do. And over one-third of the comments we received from buyers in our study, over one-third were about times when sellers were not following through on their promises and commitments. It makes a huge difference in terms of whether or not the relationship is established and whether or not it can be um, sustained. So that surprised me because I thought it was pretty simple, but it turns out we do need to spotlight that and how critical it is to seller credibility. The other one, maybe not so obvious, certainly not to most people in sales, and it wasn't to me, and that is that buyers want to be participants, full participants in creating what they want. They don't want us in sales to go away and create a solution, no matter how good that solution is. They don't want us to do that in a vacuum, unilaterally. They want to be participants. They want to be involved. They want to be enabled. And they want their input to be dignified as we are co-creating insights and co-creating solutions. And what it boils down to is you can't ask for the buy unless you've gotten the buy-in all the way through the process. All right. Thanks for that thorough response, Deb. And so how about giving us some examples of the types of shifts sellers can make to show up as leaders with their buyers? Okay. So um, let's just kind of camp on that one about involving the buyer. Some of the specific types of shifts, I would say for one, one of the buyers that was rated very highly by buyers was to engage in a two-way dialogue. In sales, the needs assessment process is so often much more diagnostic. It's almost like a, a set of survey questions. They're simple questions, qualifying questions, sorting questions to try to figure out what to sell the buyer. And it's so one way because it's just quick answers. What's your budget? Who's the decision maker? Uh, when do you want to start something? <laughs> Those questions that have very short answers and are all very tactical. And that's disengaging for buyers. Much more compelling for them, instead of a diagnostic interview, is a dialogic process for needs assessment. Wide open questions that invite them in and get them firing new ideas, brainstorming, co-creating those insights that I mentioned, imagining the possibilities of an exciting future. And that kind of a conversation makes all the difference in the world. So that's, I would say that's the number one shift for sellers to think about making if they want to enable their buyers and, and get that buy-in. Yeah, I can imagine that they would definitely have to be invited to the table. So moving on, if sellers do make these shifts, what results can they expect? At a minimum, four results that a seller could expect. So we interviewed the buyers. And by the way, our second phase of research was gathering stories from sellers. So we also uh, have a body of work that says, here are the examples of what these behaviors look like in practice when you're making extraordinary sales. 
But we know from the, the bodies of work, the, the research, as well as the seller stories, that four things at a minimum will happen. In the buyer research, we asked about a baseline. The sellers who already call on you, how often do they exhibit each of these behaviors? And then we asked, what would be the ideal frequency for sellers to exhibit these behaviors? So the first thing is buyers put the ideal frequency for all 30 significantly higher than the current frequency. So the first thing that happens is that you differentiate yourself from other sellers, even the ones they already have chosen to do business with, positive differentiation. The second thing is that buyers are more likely to meet with sellers who show up as leaders, and they're more likely to buy from sellers who are exhibiting these leadership behaviors. So in terms of results, you'll get more meetings, you'll make more sales. And this last one, the fourth, I just so enjoy watching a room full of sellers when I speak to an audience or a sales team of sellers when I'm in field coaching. Those who begin to see themselves as leaders and envision themselves exhibiting these behaviors and then go exhibit them at all those phases, there's a certain swagger that comes back, a certain confidence. This work, being a leader, it feels good. It feels so much different than acting as the stereotypical salesy kind of person that where you don't feel entirely good about some of the things that you're doing. Leadership feels good. So th those are the four. So inside an organization, what are the implications for teams and the various departments sellers work with? Well, there's, there's a magic that happens when you liberate the leader inside yourself. And for an organization, when you liberate leaders inside all of your team members, because leadership is not about places on a hierarchical organizational chart. It's about every person at every level being able to guide others, including themselves, to improve collaborations, to be able to take initiative and, and to model what needs to happen and to challenge processes so that things are continually improving. And for people to all feel enabled, ennobled, encouraged, these are the natural outcomes of leadership behaviors. The more frequently they are there by more people, the more collaborative and the more engaging a workplace will be for every single member of the team. So the implication is not just more sales, it's also internally as sellers are working with other members of the team that they're going to be more effective, that, that the natural wave, the cascade, is that every single person in every single role has an opportunity to be more engaged and, and to do a better job. That's what it's all about. And we talk about both in the book, Stop Selling and Start Leading. We talk about interactions with buyers and also with team members inside the organization. All right, great. And so we do encourage everyone to check out Deb's book. That's actually all we've got time for today. And so we'll say one more big thank you to Deb for spending some time with our audience. Thank you, Holly. As I said, it's always a pleasure talking with you. And don't forget, there's plenty of free workforce development content available at hci.org that will help you on your path to become a strategic HR practitioner. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed today's episode. You can find HCI on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and on the YouTube channel HCI Talent. If you're listening on iTunes, we'd love to get your rating and review. It helps other professionals and talent-minded people discover the program. 
We'll close with a big thank you to our listeners for spending some time with us and for all of HCI. Thanks for being here.